Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. Well, if you've been following along with us the last couple of weeks, then you know that as a church family, we are on a journey together. We are on a journey to satisfy the ache inside of us for deeper intimacy with God. See, what we're after is a brand of relationship with him that is about so much more than mere ritual. We're after a real relationship with him a relationship in which we can experience his presence and we hear his voice and we can feel his comfort. And as we've been learning, this demands so much more than just getting more of God. In fact, it specifically requires us giving more of ourselves to him. And so what we're doing is we are learning to integrate our emotional lives into our spiritual lives by offering God the hardest parts of what we feel. And so last week, we talked about why we go about building barriers that are meant to to block out these emotions that we need to invite God to invade. And so we learned that we block for comfort, we block in order to function, and then sometimes we have to learn to block in order to survive. Okay, so we've talked about the why. We've talked about why we've built these barriers. But before we move on, we need to spend just a few minutes this week discussing how we go about building them because we can't dismantle what we don't understand. Okay, we can't dismantle what we don't understand. I'll give you an example. We had to replace our old minivan last year, and the new car we got had a stripped screw that was holding on the temporary plate. So I had to get this screw off to get the temporary plate off to be able to put the new plate on. But what seemed crazy to me was that getting to the back of this screw required removing, like completely dismantling the entire back panel of our new car. And the problem was, I have no clue how to do that. Like, if you know me, you know I'm inept with cars. And so what I had to do is what I always have to do. I sat down and I watched a YouTube video trying to learn how the panel was constructed so that I could then dismantle it and solve my problem, which I did. I just want you to know. But that's exactly what we're after this morning. We can't dismantle what we don't understand. See, we have learned to build these barriers. And so we have to understand how in order to begin to break them down. And so to that end, this this week, we're going to talk about three ways in which we block the emotions that God wants to meet us in. Three ways, if you're taking notes, make a note of these, three ways that we block the emotions that God wants to meet us in. All right, so grab something to write on, something to write with. Here's the first of the three ways that we block the emotions God wants to meet us in. Number one is we ignore our emotions. Number one is we ignore our emotions. Now, in recent years, we have seen a resurgence of interest 
in an ancient Greek philosophy known as Stoicism. Now, if you're not familiar, simply put, Stoicism is about elevating logic, specifically the mind, above everything else. And this is a philosophy that dates all the way back into the scriptures. In fact, the Apostle Paul was no stranger to Stoicism. In Acts 17, 18, uh, we see a description of his encounter with some of the Stoic philosophers of his day. In fact, Paul even agreed with the Stoics regarding the importance of the mind. In Romans 12, 2, the Apostle Paul wrote, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed, listen to this, by the renewing of your mind. So to be clear, the mind really matters when it comes to our spiritual formation. But while there is much to learn from Stoic philosophy, I would argue there are also some significant limitations. Modern Stoicism has focused so much attention on the virtue of mental resilience. And while, and that's not all bad, I'll talk more about that in just a second, but while modern Stoicism doesn't teach the absence of emotion, it is often focused on the mastery of them. And so one of the modern Stoicism's most popular evangelist is an author and media strategy strategist by the name of Ryan Holiday. His books have sold millions of copies, and for very good reason, Holiday has done such a supreme job of dragging this ancient philosophy into the modern world, and much of what he has pulled forward is so helpful. However, some of modern Stoicism still has an unhelpful bent toward demonizing the value of particular emotions in a way that distorts what God intends to do through them. At one point in one of his books, Holiday writes, we, listen to this word, we quote, defeat emotions with logic, or at least that's the idea. Logic is questions and statements. With enough of them, we get to root causes, which are always easier to deal with, end quote. All right, so I, I get that, but here's my question that I have as I read that quote. Is defeating our emotions really the goal? And just because logic is easier and neater and more manageable, does that mean that God doesn't want to work in the difficult mess of unpleasant emotions? As we established earlier, we are humans created in the image of a God who embodies the full range of emotions. And so while I believe the intent is good, this is the very type of counsel from modern day Stoics that allowed me to justify ignoring any emotions that I deemed as unhelpful. Now, there is certainly an argument to be made that emotions which cause us to behave in destructive or dysfunctional manner are harmful. But I would still argue that it's our response, not the emotion itself, that is the problem. In their important book, uh, The Cry of the Soul, which if you have not read it, I highly recommend it, The Cry of the Soul, Dan Allender and Tremper Longman write this, quote, Emotion links our internal and external worlds. To be aware of what we feel can open us to questions we would rather ignore. But many of us, they go on to say, for many of us, that is precisely why it is easier not to feel. But failure to feel leaves us barren and distant from God and others, end quote. Now, this is probably the most common reason we learn to ignore our emotions. It's, it's, It's 
It's not always that they hold destructive power in our lives. More often, we simply do not like what facing them entails. And so while I believe that some of this modern stoicism holds tremendous value and mental resilience is certainly a critical virtue in a corrupted world, my concern is that we may use it to justify the neglect of the very emotions that God desires to meet us in. Now, I would describe my own experience of learning to ignore certain emotions, not as stoicism, but as a practice that I refer to and my therapist refers to as turning the page. See, there was this time that I conflated mental resilience and emotional health. I thought that those two were the exact same thing. Like I'm borderline embarrassed to admit at this point in my life, but I, I assumed that I was emotionally healthy because I was mentally resilient, because I could acknowledge something difficult, even a traumatic circumstance, and then just like simply move on to whatever was next. No real need to reflect on it. No need to talk about it. No need to make sense of it, no tears. I would just simply turn the page and move on. And that worked until it didn't. And then 30 some odd years of this practice all caught up with me and and started to work its way out. And so here's my point in this. Ignoring painful emotions does not eliminate them. It simply conceals them in a way that allows their power to compound. The writers of the scriptures put consistent emphasis on the the presence of self-examination. I'll give you a couple of examples. In Psalm 119.59, the psalmist writes, I thought about my ways and turned my steps back to your decrees. Lamentations 3.30 says, let's examine and probe our ways and turn back to the Lord. Haggai 1.7 says, think carefully about your ways. Prior to taking communion, the apostle Paul told early Christians to examine themselves in 1 Corinthians 11.28. Now, obviously in these verses, there's a clear emphasis on the need to examine our lives for sin that hurts us and hinders intimacy with God. But what I want you to see is that in the scriptures, we learn that the Christian life is one of holistic examination, not selective ignorance. So we may block our emotions for a season, but doing so impedes our ability to connect with God and others in a deep and meaningful manner. Now, here's a second way that we block the very emotions that God wants to meet us in. Make a note of this. Number two, we run from our emotions. We run from our emotions. Another way that we block emotions is to live at a pace of life that so preoccupies our attention, we lose the presence of mind necessary to feel. Now, if you have not done this personally, you may have seen someone who has, they are always on the move, always active, always in motion, afraid if they stop, they will feel. And I am just convinced this is one reason that we have created a culture marked by so much frantic and phonetic energy. The busyness that we're so prone to brag about has the profound effect of blocking our ability to feel. And the problem is if we don't feel our connection to God, 
and with others is severely limited. John Mark Comer writes of how the enemy of our souls is behind our busyness. He says this, quote, Today, you're far more likely to run into the enemy in the form of an alert on your phone while you're reading your Bible, or a multi-day Netflix binge, or a full-on dopamine addiction to Instagram, or a Saturday morning at the office, or another soccer game on a Sunday, or, a com- or commitment after commitment after commitment in a life of speed. He goes on to say this, both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God and to other people, even to your own soul, end quote. Now, I find it very interesting that one of the most common invitations in Scripture is to wait on God. Just think about how hard waiting. We don't like to wait in traffic. We don't like to wait in line. We go to incredible lengths to never have to wait. But the most, one of the most common invitations from God in the Scriptures is to wait on Him. Psalm 27.14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Lamentations 3.25 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. Psalm 46.10 says, Stop fighting and know that I am God. Other translations translate that as, Be still and know that I am God. In Matthew 11.28, Jesus says, Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so based on what the scriptures invite us to regarding waiting and and pace, here's what I would argue. Any pace of life that prevents us from the ability to examine our hearts with God every single day is simply too rushed. And the scary part of this is that we may not even realize we're doing it. It has become so culturally acceptable to be overwhelmed that we all walk around believing that it is normal and it is not normal. And it is, it might be normal in our culture, but it's not normative from God's perspective. It's not what we were created for and designed for. And so we don't always consciously realize that we are starving our souls and cutting off connection to God. And so we cannot forget that the simple invitation of Jesus throughout the Gospels was just two simple words, follow me. I got to tell you, it's pretty hard to follow someone that you are consistently outpacing. And so what has happened is many of us have reversed Jesus' invitation and we expect him to follow us. Whether it's intentional or not, at least one reason we do this is that walking with Jesus, truly following him, will inevitably mean him asking you to sit with with him, but in feelings, memories, and experiences that we would rather not explore. But please know, man, his intent is not to hurt, but to heal. But unfortunately, rather than sit and find him gentle and faithful to heal, oftentimes we just keep running, and keep running, and keep running, so that we don't have to feel. We block our emotions by ignoring them. Secondly, we can block them by running from them. And then finally, number three, we numb our emotions. Make a note of that. We numb our emotions. Now, sometimes when we find ourselves unable to ignore or maybe 
outrun our emotions anymore. We instead turn to a variety of means by which we learn to numb them. Now, we can do this with a wide variety of means. Things like sex and food and substance abuse all work to numb our emotions. The problem is we are not meant to limp through life numb. That's not what God has for us or wants for us. And this is what the Apostle Paul was getting at. In Ephesians chapter 5, 15, let me just read this to you. Listen to what he says. He says, pay careful attention. Interesting. So there's that theme of examination again, right from the start. He says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And listen to this. He specifically addresses substance abuse. He says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying is we are not meant to limp through life numb. We are meant to live fully alive and fully aware, even if that means seasons of discomfort. Now, I I do want to clarify this point because I believe there is an important distinction between intentionally numbing our emotions on the one hand and then walking through an experience that is so emotionally overwhelming that it leaves you temporarily numb. For instance, if you have ever lost a loved one, then you have most likely experienced that temporary sensation of just feeling emotionally numb that results from being overwhelmed. I've certainly experienced this in my own life. Like if a global pandemic and a contentious election weren't enough to make 2020 the dumpster fire to end all dumpster fires, many of you know I lost someone that I loved very much last year. Uh, Darren Patrick was a pastor to pastors. But during one of the most difficult seasons of my life and one of the most difficult seasons of his life, he also became my very dear friend. Prior to planting Ridgeline, many of you know that I spent just shy of two years pastoring an existing church in a small town in the South. And if you've heard anything about that, you've also heard me talk about the fact that it was tough and it was traumatic in ways that we certainly don't have time to unpack this morning. But in short, I felt like during that season, my whole life was just unraveling around me. And in God's providence, uh, Darren's life was unraveling at the exact same time. And so as they say, misery loves company. And so Darren and I spent a good number of hours on very long phone calls, commiserating together and desperately seeking one another's encouragement and counsel. And thankfully, the circumstances in both of our lives improved greatly, and we got to share that as well. He got to come here to Salt Lake early last year to speak at a small gathering for church planters, and he and I had the chance to share a long dinner the night before. And we got to talk about everything that God had carried us through. And we got to talk about everything that was so good in life. And we laughed a lot. And it was so refreshing to spend time with him when life was so much better for both of us. But that's also what made the tragic phone call that I received just weeks later so shocking. I will just never forget a mutual friend calling me just after dawn in early May and saying, man, I'm so, so sorry to tell you this, but Darren's dead. 
And I just like didn't know how to process that information. I was just devastated and I cried a lot. I was hit by these overwhelming waves of tears off and on all day long. And then, and then something happened later on in the evening. I, I just got to this point where I like couldn't cry anymore. And I realized that I just felt numb. And so if you've ever walked through one of these emotionally overwhelming experiences like that, you know that strange yet familiar move that your soul makes toward numbness. And what I, the reason I bring that up is I, I want us to understand that, that that experience is normal and natural, but it is distinct from behaviors that intentionally tamp down our feelings and purposely pursue numbness. Like you don't have to be an addiction expert to know that numbing is a common reason that people run to addictive substances in the first place. Drugs and alcohol do an excellent job of diminishing or cutting off our ability to feel. So can pornography or excess entertainment and a host of other behaviors. And so I want you to hear, I can certainly empathize with the deep longing to deaden those emotions that cause us such deep pain. The problem is when we numb our emotions, we negate our ability to fully experience life with God. See, the reality is some of us have grown skilled at not feeling the very emotions that God desires to meet us in. Some of us have spent years, I'm one of them, some of us have spent years building these barriers, and I'm telling you, they're not going to come down in a day. But the good news is, if we have learned not to feel, we can also learn to feel. And it will be neither easy nor comfortable, but I want to assure you again, it is totally worth the work. A deeper experience of God's person, his presence, and his power wait on the other side. And so I know we are walking through some heavy subject matter here. And I just want to continue to reassure you that it would be normal if you are feeling overwhelmed, maybe even experiencing some degree of dread as we drudge all this up together. And so I just want to continue to remind you that you are not alone in this and that we are not in a race. And so you can just take a breath and remember you're not alone. We're on this journey together. And most importantly, God is right there with you. And he is not going to leave you. He won't forsake you. He's just slowly inviting you into deeper and deeper relationship with him. And so as we get ready to close this week, I want you to notice something about everything that we've talked about this morning. The common thread running through all three of these ways we learn to block our emotions is the decision, whether it's conscious or unconscious, the decision to not examine our inner lives. That runs through all three of those. And so what I want to invite you to do is just take, again, a small step with me this week in learning to examine our lives each day. And so again, every day at a time that works for you, here's what I want you to do. Open a note on your phone or a journal 
And I want you to do your best to answer a simple question, okay? The question is this, what am I feeling today? Simple enough, right? Easy question, simple question, not always easy to answer, but just what am I feeling today? Now again, we all have varying levels of ease with which we can answer this question. Some of us are adept and experienced at answering that, but some of us aren't used to thinking about it and might at first think that we have no idea what we're feeling. Furthermore, some of us are so emotionally closed off, we think that we don't actually feel. And so regardless of maybe where on that spectrum you might find yourself, here's my encouragement to you. Start where you are. Just start where you are. We're gonna go deeper and deeper into this, but let's start small. It's better to consistently perform small practices than to constantly fail at sizable ones. And so if you take two, three minutes this week and you write down two or three sentences uh, describing the way that you're feeling and you didn't do that last week, then that makes that progress for this week. And progress, not perfection, is our goal. And so let's take this step together this week. Rather than ignore, rather than just run from, rather than numb our emotions, let's just take this simple step toward them and invite God to meet us in that place. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you are a patient, 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 compassionate, and kind God. And that you invite us into these small steps that you use to produce massive transformation inside of us. And so, Lord, this week I do just pray for progress on this front. We want to learn rather than ignore and run from or numb these things that we feel. Lord, we, 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 we need your help. We need your courage. We need your strength, but we want to, to face them. And we want to learn this practice of examining what is going on in our inner world, because we know that you're there with us and you want to meet us in the midst of it. And so I just ask you for that strength and courage to do that. Give us discernment and wisdom, insight, into what we feel this week, especially for those of us that are not comfortable or used to or familiar with identifying these things. We need your help. And as always, Lord, I pray if there's anyone listening, anyone watching this week who doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they would meet you, that they would turn from living their own life, going their own way, doing their own thing, and instead, Lord, they would surrender their lives to follow you and they would learn to cultivate that relationship with you. We all want that, we all need that, and so we ask that you would help us. We know you can, we ask that you would. We pray this in your name, Jesus, amen.